Welcome to the Remote CEO Show. My name is De Niro Bartolini, AKA De Niro B. I'm an acclaimed business coach and my moonshot is to change the face of work and business forever. With each episode, we bring you some of the most inspiring and insightful interviews with six, seven, eight, and nine figure entrepreneurs to crack the code on how to build your remote empire and have fun while doing it. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. What's going on, CEOs? Daniel will be here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today, we're here with Malcolm Peace. Malcolm is making Texas feel smaller by working with small businesses throughout the state. His company partners and buys well-established businesses to see them thrive by implementing software and standard operating procedures as they move into their next phase. Their team are long-term buyers looking to maintain the existing team and build upon the previous owner's legacy. I'm very excited for this chat. Let's get right into it. Welcome, welcome to the Remote CEO Show. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I ask every single one of my guests to tell us a bit more about their story. So what's your story? What made you become an entrepreneur, Malcolm? So what made me become an entrepreneur uh, is my second daughter was being born and I was just coming back from paternity leave. And, um, essentially the boss that I had at the time said I was unable to keep up with my work demands and I was let go maybe a week, week and a half afterwards. I think it was a week. Um, and that was the moment where I realized, wow, they were allowed to let me go without cause. They gave me a severance. It was nice. It was a little bit of a hush hush kind of situation, um, but they let me go. And I said to myself, wow, um, why not go take the plunge? And initially I did it with partnerships. Um, and I was a minority partner and then it kind of rolled into where I became majority owner of different items that we were working on. That's fantastic. It's funny. It's kind of funny that you bring this up. The fact that they let you go, because I know a lot of entrepreneur, a lot of people don't want to become entrepreneurs because they want to have the sense of safety of having a job that brings cash in in, in the house every single month. But then you get situations like yours or even mine in 2015, when I was let go of the company that I was working because they basically shut down an entire department. And that's when I also had that realization. I was like, it's not any more safe to work, any safer to work for someone else. Uh, at least I'm in control of what I can do. And, and that really makes me feel good when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> I had a good buddy that has gone from, you know, running his own software development company. So now he works for a big company, Fortune 500 company. And uh, we have this conversation all the time. He likes where he's at. And I give him all the credit. He's doing a great job there. But I can see six months of accounts receivables and he can't see six months of payroll guaranteed. So we have this conversation all the time. And um, I like being able to know that it's on my back to go get it done. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate you feel the weight of the responsibility of those that you employ and you take care of. But at the same while, I'd rather be able to understand kind of what my pulses with my customers rather than, you know, in, in Texas, for instance, like it's an at will state. So um, a boss can let you go for any reason. So um, that's just how I'm wired. And I totally appreciate where you're coming from. Yes, exactly. That's amazing. All right. So let's talk about what you're currently doing, because it's something very interesting. Before I press the record button, you were telling me that you're buying businesses. Can you tell our audience a bit more about your business model and how you're growing your business? 
Yeah. So I run Sitzera Growth Partners. We're based in Texas. We buy blue collar industrial type businesses that are doing three to twelve million dollars in revenue, and we scale them by adding software, low code, no code software, and standard operating procedures. Again, these businesses are legacy blue collar industrial type businesses that have been around for longer than ten years. Um, we scale them by candidly bringing the data that they originally had in place, previous sales, previous customer concentrations, and we start making better informed decisions around that information. That's fantastic. I know a lot of uh, blue collar businesses are doing very well myself as well. But the problem, like you said, is that they have either outdated systems or just they have no systems at all. There's still the few like uh, the, the founder and a few more people there helping them out. And, uh, and and like you said, they had like probably years and years worth of data, but they don't know what to do with it. Um, and so when it when it comes down to to building these businesses, you know, we're here at the remote CL. We always want to know more about how to leverage uh, lean type of uh, systems, right, to to scale businesses. And we were talking about this a bit before that part of your staff is in house, but some of them are remote and some of them are on contract. Can you tell us a bit more about the process that you employed to scale up your business and uh, who did you hire first and were they on contract? Were they, were they full-time, part-time staff and how did it go? How did you go about it? Yeah. So since we buy businesses, like our you know main bed and brother is to analyze deals and get those deals through the pipeline as fast as possible. And so my first hire that was a contract was a company that um, brings basically an in-house person to stitch together low-code, no-code software. And so I needed somebody that could come in and start architecting together with me where we were going to go from a marketing, a CRM management, all that kind of stuff. And so I used the same tactics that I did back at the beginning that would you do when we buy a business. We take the same information that same software that we used previously in the old coast side and we go implement that into a portfolio company because often they don't have data aggregated anyway um, and so yeah it was it's really that person is the key kind of architect um, that can bring together all the information into a house where we can actually go utilize it to some extent that's awesome and so is this so this is a full-time individual that you're employing for every business that you buy or is it someone that uh, can handle more than one uh, business, basically? So they can handle more than one business. They are on a contract. Um, I renew that contract every year so that they almost have a guarantee um, for us, you know, yearly and annually. Um, that person. So the way that I look at it is we have people that are employed um, and then there's people that we uh, have been doing work with for a long time. And I wish I could employ them from their other employer. Yeah. Um, and so. I kind of use them as a white-labeled situation where they come from us um, to the portfolio companies and stay in-house to the hold co side where we go out and, and, and look for those deals and continue to help our portfolio companies succeed. And so, um, yeah, all that to be said, there's there's really no um, delineation between those that are you know contracted, those that are employed. It might just be matter of fact of their circumstances and their preferences and all that kind of stuff. All right. That's awesome. And that actually takes me to another very important pillar of the Remote CEO uh, podcast, which is trying to make sure that your business still has a culture that people are excited to wake up in the morning and start working for you, whether they're working full time uh, on a permanent basis or they are on a month to month or, or just contract, basically. So how do you make that happen, Malcolm? Tell us more about that. Ooh, tough question. I think that's always difficult. I think that 
I think that was the wheel that everybody was trying to figure out how to get rolling during, you know, 2020 and probably for that to some extent, but it became really, you know, highlighted in 2020 and, and years back and years coming after that. Um, you know, one of the challenges, and I'll be candid with you, one of the challenges that we face is, you know, we don't want to create a culture where it's centered around me. We don't want to create a culture where it's centered around kind of the core team or so on and so forth. So really giving people the autonomy and be able to thrive in that way, I think goes twofold. One, it's finding the right people that want to operate like that. Because, you know, as anybody's ever experienced with any type of employee or somebody that you contract or so on and so forth, that there's some people that just really appreciate that, like, consistent touch, consistent involvement, consistent, um, you know, engagement of what they're doing. And then there's some that just want to run completely independent. And so it's finding those folks that are kind of in the middle of those two worlds uh, where they like engagement, they like feedback, they like being able to send recorded videos. We do a lot of Loom and Vidyard videos and engagement from that perspective. Um, and then it's a lot of just personal check-in, right? I've got multiple employees that work in the Philippines. I've got multiple employees that work without, with, throughout Texas and throughout the States. I've got folks that are in the Caribbean. I've got folks that are in the Middle East and, and Eastern Europe, you name it. I've got folks just about anywhere um, and in, in India, actually, we hired somebody in India last week. So, um, you know, all that to be said, it, it's a matter of their comfortability. And it's also ability from us, from the company side and myself personally, to be engaged on, you know, what does this person need? How much do they need? What's important? And I've got some folks that are like, I don't need you to say anything to me. Just, you know, <laughs> pay my paycheck and we're good. And I've got another folks that are like, can we sit down and chat for an hour? So it just depends. Um I know that doesn't sound like rocket science because I don't think it is. I think it's an ability to, you know, know your team, know your team well, and, and make sure you hire correctly for kind of your wiring as well. That's that's great. And I think you're completely right. And then there's generally not one size fits all for there's different the different cultures, there's different types of business models. And like you said, different setups. Some businesses only have contractors so they can kind of batch the whole process of culture building in one specific way. Whereas when you have some people in-house, some of them are remote, but on contract, some people are remote full-time, like it's, it can get very messy. But you said something that really stood out to me, and I think it's the biggest takeaway, which is it all comes down to hiring the right people. And if you can hire someone that is already used to working remotely and working independently a self-starter, uh, generally speaking, you're going to find, you know, less problems basically managing that individual than if you just were hiring based on experience, but you had no idea whether or not they were going to be able to work remotely. And um, so I want to talk about something that uh, I generally don't ask during these types of interviews, but because I have Hugh here, and I think it's very important for our listeners at home to understand valuation if someone wanted to sell a business in the next, let's say, three to five years, what should they do right now to make sure, A, that they're not going to be indispensable for the business by the time you know they need to sell it, of course, and B, how can they uh, try and, 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 and get you know a bigger business like in the eyes of someone that's buying that business? Huh, good question. Um... So I always tell people, whenever you're looking to sell a business, you got to think about who's the buyer that you're trying to attract, right? And, and, yes. and we do this in relationships. We do this in other dynamics as well. Like, 
who are you trying to attack? I'm going to uh, attract, I'm going to position myself differently to attract, you know, to go work at Google than I am to go work at a small mom and pop. Like my position and the way I hold myself and what I want to have to be responsible for just looks different. And you choose those pathways. And the same goes for selling a business and putting together a kind of a, a marketing packet of sorts to that, uh, to that potential buyer. If you're going into traditional private equity, you know, they're going to want you to probably stay on for a couple of years after you sell. If you're going to want to go to a strategic a strategic buyer, somebody that's already in your industry, that's maybe a competitor of yours, somebody that's slightly above you or below you, and they want to, you know, move up or move down market. However, that looks a little bit different. They may not want you to stay on for very long. And in our case, we believe, and this is the one of the cruxes that I always try to communicate in the nicest way possible to our business owners. We believe the skill set that it takes to get to $3 million in revenue, or even quite frankly, to get past a million dollars in revenue into that seven figure mark is a different skill set than it does to take from three to 12 million bucks. And so as a result, they play a role, but they play a different role and often they transition out. And so we attract a lot of owners that are looking to transition entirely. And so to speak to what you asked, most of the time, I actually want them to be pretty dispensable. Uh, I want them to be in a situation where the business is not dependent on them. And if it is dependent on them, I've got to figure out, can the culture of the company transition to a place where there's way more autonomy and roles and responsibilities within the different departments, within the different department heads, that maybe there's some roles that aren't yet there that we need to create. And so um, I'm always kind of aware of that. Um, and that's just us as a buyer. We're buying for a long-term perspective. And we often are looking at an owner that wants to transition out. Maybe they're disinterested. Maybe they're going through a transition of their life, like divorce, or maybe they're, you know, knocking on death and they're saying, Hey, I want to go have an X 20, 30 years of my life free of this business. And so, um, that's, that's who we attract. Uh, and again, it's not, we're not the buyer for everybody, but that's our focus. Yeah. hundred percent. And so now I think what's cool is that if I ask you the opposite question, if someone wanted to have a business, but they don't want to, they have some cash, of course, and they don't want to start from scratch, but they'd rather buy an existing business. Yeah. So first off, would it be something smart to do with someone that has not a lot of experience running a business? Uh, and B, if it is a good, a good idea, what should they look for? And is there a threshold uh, money-wise that they should look at spending? I mean, of course it really ranges but uh, I just wanted to get some ideas from you. Um, again, talking to someone that uh, is just getting started. Yeah. That first business that you buy, um, I'm of the belief I'm doing a stair-step model. So literally my first acquisition was buying this small consulting firm from the original founder who started yeah. in 2011. Um, you know, it was a, five-figure purchase. Um, it was very small. It was manageable. We had an earnout process that we went through. It allowed me to get comfortable. And then I did other deals that were multi and and, and a lot bigger. And so um, I, I believe personally, if you've never bought a business before, buy something that you can do with little to no risk. Um, and what I constitute as a little to no risk is a lot of cash out the door. So create some sort of different structure and earnout something that allows you to de-risk that and stair-step your way in. Uh, I think some folks, they, you know, they were like, oh, let me go buy a $5 million business and and I've never ran a business or I've never ran a PL before or I've never, 
you know, organized a team of 26 people or whatever it may be. And somehow I'm just going to figure it out. Um, I, I think that, you know, personally, I think that you build reputational, you know, momentum over life. Um, and if you're, you know, biggie, if you're going out there and saying, I'm going to go buy the biggest thing I possibly can just make sure you're okay with the risk from a reputation and the cash and all that types of stuff. Um, and don't be afraid to stair step your way in, um, is really what I would say. That's, that's very true. I mean, the reputation, like you said, it's very important as well. Some people just think about money, but the problem is that if you make a big mistake right away, I'm assuming that moving forward, it's not going to be first off easy from a financial perspective, but also from, like you said, a reputation perspective, trying to, to make things happen moving forward. So Malcolm, I wanted to ask you, is there something exciting coming down the pike that you want to share with our audience about your business or any other projects that you're working on? Yeah. So as we've gotten, you know, to a point where we're trying to scale more um, and we're trying to build in more and more infrastructure and create momentum in a positive direction that we're looking for, we find that it's easier for us to hire uh, basically owner operators of these businesses that we're going to acquire. So what that looks like is we're trying to build a culture of folks that have a long-term perspective, both with our investors and our uh, employees and all that kind of stuff. And so one of the missing key factors of is those operators to run these businesses. Historically, what we've done is I've gone and bought the business um, and then I've ran it for six months and then I've transitioned out with a new owner or, or sorry, I should say a new CEO, new president kind of role. Um, it's just not long term, very scalable when I'm dealing with some of the minutia of the day. Yeah. And so building out a process um, again, we're not recreating wheel. There's great people doing out uh, doing this out in the world. Um, but building a process where we bring somebody in, put them through a training, and then subsequently place them into the deal that we've sourced, giving them an equity and a nice salary um, to go run this business and and really tie them to that for the next couple of years with a long-term mindset of, you know, this is your baby to grow and we'll support you and build those resources. So when I speak to the team from a um, internal holding co-company side of things, we're building out our shared services model where here's our go-to if they're contracted or employed, here's our go-to marketing person, here's our go-to HR, here's our go-to software implementation, here's our go-to person that sources the assistance because we hire a bunch of people from the Philippines that go and get placed inside of these. So all that to be said, that's our long-term vision is that uh, we'll create a great pathway for folks that want to go run a business um, and maybe are prepared to go do it completely alone by themselves. Um, but they want to partner with somebody like us that can uh, you know, give them the resources and expertise to see them be successful. That's fantastic. And I'm sure that some of our listeners at home just heard this and would want to know more about you and your business. So Malcolm, where can people find you and your company online? Yeah. So Sitzera Growth Partners, we're all on Google and all over LinkedIn and other platforms, but our website is spelled T-S-E. T-S-E-R-R-A, Sitzera.com. And you can shoot us an email at info at Sitzera.com or my phone number, our phone number's on there and you're more than welcome to give us a call. Um, all that to be said, you know, we're happy to chat it up. We, we get these inquiries quite often because um, we really want to build a culture where people just want to take care of these small businesses and see them into the future as um, successful built upon legacies uh, that these previous business owners have built. That is fantastic. Again, Malcolm, thanks a lot for being in the Remote CEO Show. I'm looking forward to having you back in the future. And in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thanks so much. 
and this is it for today ceos thanks for staying with us until the end can i ask you a big favor can you please leave a review i know the podcast app is not super straightforward so if you don't know how to leave a review just dm me on instagram at deniero b d-e-n-i-e-r-o-b and i will send you the direct link to the review section and to show you my appreciation i will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation so thank you again and i will talk to you again soon